Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship, and happy Valentine's Day. Is the Lord Jesus Christ your Valentine? Is he the true desire of your heart? Do you love him more than all else? Let's open Acts chapter 1 and continue learning about the early beginnings of the Christian church. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. Today is Valentine's Day. It's uh, February 14th. It's around 8.40 in the morning here in Texas. And we're going we're gonna to talk about the early church part two today. We're going to discuss Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, and uh, just see what the Lord has for us. Well, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives today, Lord. We thank you for this day. In America, Lord, we we celebrate Valentine's Day, Lord. And uh, Lord, in all that culture that means to us of our uh, of our significant others. And uh, but Lord, we know that you are the most significant Valentine in our life, Lord. You are our first love. And uh, I do ask you to forgive me, Lord, where where you haven't been my first love, where Jesus hasn't been my Valentine, Lord. You are, uh, Lord, you are our all in all, our beginning and our end, our alpha and our omega. You're our first and our last. And, uh, and help us, Lord Jesus, as, as your body of Christ to, to make you our Valentine, Lord. Lord, not to be religious or not to be corny, but man, just that, uh, that you would be our first love, Lord, that our desire would truly be for you. Um, above all things, even uh, those people who we're uh, so in love with and close and intimate with. So, Father, we love you and we bless you. We ask you to open the word of God to our hearts now. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As always, the first thing we ask ourselves when we come to the scripture is, why is this in the Bible? You know, why did the Lord choose to include this in the scriptures. And as we always say, Romans 15 verse 4 declares that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, to instruct us, not simply to tell us a cool story. Here we're going to hear the story of what happened as Jesus is taken up from the disciples and what he tells them and what happens uh, directly afterward. But this is in here to instruct us and teach us things, not just so that we would read this and, you know, and hear what happened. As well, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 11 say that these things are written down as examples to us. So we want to see what the example is here for, uh, for you and me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, last time we got, uh, we got through verse 5, and we, we talked a lot about um, the three baptisms and, uh, and, all that that, and all that goes with that. So we're going to pick it up in verse 6, and Lord willing, we'll get through verse 11 today. Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the good news is we can ask Jesus questions. They have a question, and they want to know when Jesus is going to 
And they're hoping right now that Jesus is going to come back and bring Israel back to her former glory, uh, like when David and Solomon were kings, because Israel at this time was under Roman occupation, as most of you know, and Rome was the superpower in the world. And, you know, they want that glory back. And so, so they say, Lord, are you going to do that, you know, right now? And, you know, it's an understandable question. I mean, we do want Jesus to come back right now. Hopefully we have that same desire in our hearts. Lord Jesus, come and just restore your kingdom on earth. I mean, wouldn't that be nice if Jesus just came back today and landed on earth and he was the ruler of this world? Um, Lord Jesus, let it be. You know, the Bible ends. The final book of the Bible is Revelation chapter 22. And the last verse says, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just echo that, Lord. We do ask you to, to come now and restore the kingdom of God on earth, even as it is in heaven. However, he may be saying to us, as he said to them in verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Well, there you have it. They want to know if he can come and do this right now, and certainly I want the same thing. And undoubtedly he's saying the same thing to us, that it is not for us to be concerned with times or dates. Our Heavenly Father knows times and dates, and he has it says all authority over time and over dates. And that's something for us to really think about. Our God has authority over time. What happens and when it happens. Now, I confess I am, I am constantly concerned with times and dates. Particularly if I have a problem. Or if I'm in a difficult situation. Or if I'm sick. I want to know the time and the date when this difficulty is going to end. Now, the truth is, when we're going through difficulties, you know, we want to go through them with a heart of what the Lord has us, you know, Lord, what do you have for us to learn from this? But again, just to be perfectly candid, when I'm going through a difficult time, generally, I just want to know the time and date it's going to end. But the good news is you can know that Jesus knows the time and dates, but for whatever reason, he doesn't choose to tell us the times and dates of things, right? We have to live in faith today, see what the Lord has for us today, and we do not know what tomorrow brings. None of us, right? We're not told what tomorrow brings. Our Heavenly Father does not reveal that to us. We do know that Jesus is going to return. The Bible tells us he's going to come back. As a side note, and I'm not going to get into a lot of eschatology here or end-time theology, but as believers, we are told in Revelation 20 that we will reign with Jesus for a thousand years on this earth. And just think about how cool that's going to be. It says that Jesus will come back and he will touch down on the earth. He will be the king and he will be the ruler. And Christians, those who are saved, who have received him as their savior, will rule with him for a thousand years. Man, that's going to be awesome. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But we're not told the time and date that it's going to happen. Jesus gave us signs in the Gospels of the end times, and certainly these, these signs are very clear now. Everything has been fulfilled in the scripture that needs to be fulfilled. Jesus could come back today. And man, Lord, I wish you would come back today. 
But it's not for me to know the times and the dates or for you to know the times or the dates. And it wasn't for them 2,000 years ago to know the times or the dates. It's interesting that 2,000 years ago, they wanted Jesus to come back and restore the kingdom of God to Israel. And we want Jesus to come back and restore the kingdom of God to this world. But it's not for us to know the times or dates. And certainly, Jesus has his reasons why it hasn't happened yet. And we're told it's because that uh, he wants everyone to come and know him. He wants everyone to come to know him as their Lord and Savior. So if you're listening to this now and you have not come to know Jesus as your Savior, if you're not sure that Jesus is living in your heart, if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, then do it now. Stop the tape and just pray, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a a sinful person. I ask you to come into my heart, be the Lord of my life, forgive me of my sins, and bring me to heaven when I die. I place all my faith and trust and hope in you alone, Jesus, to be my everlasting Lord and Savior and God. And so that's what we're told in the scriptures, that, that Jesus has a heart that, that no one perish, but everyone come to the knowledge of the truth of him as the Lord and Savior and God of their life. The scripture makes it clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to have our sins forgiven. He is the only way that we may come into relationship with God as our Father. And he is the only way that we may ultimately go to heaven. No one will see heaven except through Jesus Christ. And that's not a popular message. But that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus' own words in John 14 says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we want everyone to come to know Jesus. We don't say this, and certainly I don't say this because I want to be mean. I want everyone to be saved. You want everyone to be saved. We want everyone to come to know Jesus. And the only way to have our sins forgiven is through Jesus Christ. That's why he came and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and was raised from the dead because we all need him. If everyone didn't need him, then he wouldn't have done that. If we could have gotten there on our own, then there would have been no need for his death. All right. Verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Last time we talked about the three baptisms. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here, Jesus is talking about that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, Ephesians 5, verse 18, says to be filled with the Spirit. Now, to be filled with the Spirit is not necessarily the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember, when you get saved, when you get born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes and joins himself to your spirit and gives you life. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes and joins 
himself to your spirit and your spirit becomes alive. That happens when you get saved, when you ask Jesus to come into your heart. Now, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? You get filled with the Holy Spirit by spending time with him, by walking with him, by spending time in the scriptures, by praising and thanking God our Father in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, by singing to him, by repenting um, over areas of our life that are out of place. This is how we get filled up with the Spirit of God. So verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In the body of Christ today, we, we, most of us would say we don't feel an experiential power coming from our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so that's something we just want to pray to him about. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me and to help us one and all just to, to walk in the power that you have for us. Um, bless us, Holy Spirit, that we might receive power and walk with you in power. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what is the purpose of this Holy Spirit power? What is the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's that we might be witnesses for Jesus. Wherever we go, we are, in one way or in another, one way or another, a witness for Jesus. Now, certainly, yes, a witness for Jesus is someone who talks to people about Jesus Christ and tells people who Jesus is and why he came to the earth and why he died on the cross. Someone who evangelizes is certainly a witness. But we are all witnesses for Jesus in one way or the other. Anytime we do anything... Let me say this clearly. Anytime we do anything with a consciousness of Christ, that we do it because we're thinking, man, what would Jesus have me to do here? What does the Bible say? We're doing that. We are being a witness in that moment. So every moment of our lives, we are being a witness. And we have the opportunity to witness for Jesus. It's not just when we talk about Jesus, but in any way that we, we act like Jesus, in any way that we love like Jesus, in any way that we're generous because we're thinking about Jesus, in any way that we're forgiving because we know that Jesus would have us to forgive, in any way that we just love people in a meaningful way, even when they don't love us, because we know that's what Jesus did and that's what Jesus does. We're being a witness. Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us to be your witnesses. Holy Spirit, we ask you to empower us and help us to, on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, be witnesses for, for Jesus in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Lord Jesus, help us to be your witnesses and forgive us, Lord. Forgive me for, golly, Lord, the countless times, literally the countless times I have... Uh, I have not only not been a witness, but, but been a poor witness, Lord. Um, forgive me, Lord Jesus. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So this is the last thing he says. The last thing he says, the last words of Jesus is, 
Y'all need to go out and be my witnesses to the ends of the whole earth. And I'm not going to go through everything we just said. We just talked about everything it means to be a witness. You remember in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, he gives the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to, is to have a heart to increasingly obey the Lord Jesus in every aspect of our lives and certainly repent where we've fallen short. And as I just pray, I, I feel as I fall short consistently. It says he was taken up before their very eyes. I mean, this is quite a sight here, right? What these, what these men were, were allowed to see is this is the risen Christ. He's been on the earth 40 days. He makes this last statement about them being witnesses, and all of a sudden he just he's just rising into the sky, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, th now this is kind of interesting, and I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, we see things differently now than they did 2,000 years ago, but I mean, this is what I would have said to these angels. Look at verse 10 here. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Yeah, I guess so. I'd be looking intently into the sky too, because I've never seen a man, let alone the Lord Jesus, God the Son, just get taken up into the sky, right? So I would be looking intently into the sky as well, because it's just not something you see every day. Maybe some of y'all on here have seen someone get taken up into the sky. I have not. Ever. It'd be cool, right? And, and I would keep looking. It says they were looking intently, you don't say, up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now, I've tried to intently look for Jesus, but I have yet to have two angels stand beside me and ask me what I'm doing, right? To my knowledge, I've never seen an angel. To my consciousness, I've never seen one. That'd be cool. I think I'd like that, but uh, it's not for me to know whether that's for me or not. I'm assuming most of y'all have never seen an angel. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And, and here's the, you know, the kind of thing that I don't understand the angel's question. Verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? I would have liked to turn to the angels and said, I mean, I don't know, man, um, because Jesus was just standing here on the ground talking to me, and now, I mean, he just floated up into the air. It's not something I see every day. So that's why I'm standing here looking into the sky, because no one told me this was going to happen, and now... He's gone, and you know, I kind of miss him, and I'm hoping he's going to float back down, because that's what I would want to know. But So do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's kind of a, a weird question as to why I'm looking into the sky. Wouldn't all of us be looking intently into the sky? Now, the angels are going to make a, an important point here, you know, and so undoubtedly this is why they ask. 
why do you stand here looking intently into the sky? Because this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the angels are trying to comfort the men, and it's in the Bible here in the Word of God, so they're, they're comforting us that these men will never see Jesus again physically. This was the last moment they would ever see him in their lives. And so all of us would be looking intently into the sky as well. But the angels are, are looking to comfort them, and they're looking to comfort us. Because Jesus has ascended, and he's at the right hand of the Father in power. He's the boss of everything. Remember in that uh, Matthew 28, 18, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that statement. Is that not the most audacious, bold statement ever uttered in the history of this world? Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did he just say he was the boss of everything? And he said, I'm not just the boss of everything on earth. I'm the boss of everything in heaven too. I mean, the individual who said that better be God. I mean, there, were, there have been some crazy people that made some crazy statements. But there's never been someone that said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. It's been given to me, and I'm the boss. Everybody reports to me on earth. And as a matter of fact, everybody reports to me in heaven. It's quite a position, Lord. So Jesus is our boss. He's our master. He's our king. He's our God. He's our savior. He's our friend. But he's also the boss of everything. And the good news is that this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Well, it's been 2,000 years and, and he hasn't come back yet. And we're not told the times or the dates. But it could be any time. And Lord Jesus, we do want you to return. We do want to see you come down out of the sky and touch down. And just, just make things right, Lord. We ask you to forgive us, Lord Jesus. We've, we've kind of made a mess of things here as a church. And, uh, and we ask you to empower us and to help us, Lord, even today to repent, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and help us, Lord, to... Uh, to be the church that you died for, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us so much grace and you've used us, Lord, throughout the centuries, um, seemingly often in spite of us. And we thank you for your mercy and goodness and grace on our lives. But we ask you to help us, Lord, to give us new eyes that see you, ears that hear you, and hearts that want to truly repent that we might walk with you and know you and love you as is available to us through you, Holy Spirit. And, 
and through you, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. We look forward to you coming back in the same way you left here in Acts 1. And touching down, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven is our prayer, Lord. But, Lord, we do echo the end of the Bible where your servant John said, and he ended the scriptures by saying, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. Father, we do ask you to help us to live for Jesus until he comes. Help us to love for Jesus. Help us to give for Jesus. And Father, help us to forgive for Jesus and all that we do, Lord. Help us to be men and women whose lives continually revolve moment by moment on living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.